Hi there, I've called today's talk Boldness in a Transformed World. I'm continuing with our journey through the book of Acts, what happened to the early church, and I'm going to look today at Acts 4. It starts with Peter and John being dragged in front of a hostile Jewish council, and it leads on to a prayer, and lastly a description of how the early church lived. During this pandemic, we're all in small leaky boats in a raging storm of uncertainty. We're in the storm together, but we've all been forced into our own isolated boats to fight our own storms without the support that we've enjoyed before. Everyone's experience of this storm is different, but we're all experiencing grief of some sort. We've all lost a way of life that we enjoyed before and it's got, not going to go back to what we were used to for quite a while yet. I'll be honest with you, I don't really like these video meetings. I've never liked mobile phones. Texts and emails are so very easily misunderstood. But we've got to use these inferior methods because it's the only way to communicate at the moment. Recording this message isolated with no feedback here on my own is just weird. I've had to isolate for health issues. My hatred of tech stuff has made me isolate even more. I've spent hours and hours alone. I've got no idea if and when I can go back to work. I've been grieving the loss of my dad, who I couldn't see at the end of his life. In this weird new world, I just want to withdraw. I've had a real struggle to want to communicate with people. I'm not after your sympathy, I'm just being open and honest. You will have your own battles to face, but we're all going to have mental health issues. Our worlds have been turned upside down. We couldn't have imagined how it could change so quickly. Our plans and visions have had to be put on hold as we face the ongoing uncertainty of what lies around the corner. Can we or our loved ones survive this pandemic? Can we pay the bills? We don't know what will happen with our work. Life has changed and it won't return to what we knew before. We thought we knew what was coming, but we all have to accept that life has changed. We've been shown that life's uncertain and that we're not in control. The truth is we never were in control, we just have, were able to plan it a bit more. Think about the early church. The core of the disciples followed Jesus, their Messiah, thinking that it was going to lead to something wonderful. It was exciting and it was mind-blowing following Jesus. He'd got an answer for everything and he explained every problem that they faced. Nothing was a problem to Jesus. He just took life in his stride, he never hurried, and he displayed a wisdom and power that could have only come from heaven. But then their world was turned upside down. Jesus was arrested and then crucified. Crucifixion is a slow, agonising way of dying. The Romans used crucifixion to deter people from stepping out of line. Obey the rule of authority or you will die very slowly and very painfully. You were put on public display for others to see just how excruciatingly painful it was. Leg bones were only broken at the end to shorten the slow death. It eventually causes you to suffocate. It's not a death that anyone would sensibly choose but it's one that Jesus willingly walked into for your benefit. 
Now put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Try to imagine how they would feel in their situation. <clears throat> they were petrified and they were confused. How long before the authorities came for them too? Their leader was dead and they were now public enemies. The boldest of the bunch had failed when he was confronted and questioned about being one of Jesus' followers. Fear for his own skin and perhaps a bit of leave me alone, I want to see what happens here, had caused Peter to even deny that he knew Jesus, let alone be one of the disciples. So the disciples hid away in a back street, hoping that they could survive, wondering how the world could have changed so quickly. But then Jesus appeared again, risen from the dead. He breathed into them his spirit. It was a spirit of peace. He told them not to be scared and that they should continue to trust him. And he promised to give them the ability to cope, that they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Once filled with the Holy Spirit, this bunch of demoralised, fearful followers changed. They suddenly had a boldness that they'd lacked before. Instead of hiding away, they then went out to find the hostile crowd. They made themselves a public spectacle inviting danger. Why? Didn't, did they not realise that what they were doing was reckless? Of course they did, but they didn't care. They now believed that there were more important things than their own safety and comfort. The Sunday before last, Mike was talking about Acts 3, when Peter and John went to the temple and healed a crippled man. He'd been there for years, he's over 40. He was carried there every day. Somehow he'd never got near Jesus. Miranda suggested that this guy had never called out to Jesus, that Jesus never steps in, in uninvited. That's why he was still there. We can only guess. Anyway, Peter and John attracted attention and invited danger. After all the public attention and opportunity for Peter to preach, he and John were dragged in front of the Jewish leaders who threatened them to stop telling people that Jesus was alive. Think about what had just been done to Jesus by this same group of religious leaders and listen to what Peter said. This is Acts 4 verse 8 from the message. With that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. Rulers and leaders of the people, if we've been brought on trial today for helping a sick man put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you. We've got nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that you killed on a cross, the one that God raised from the dead. By means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes in no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved, only this one. The Jewish leaders were confused by the boldness of Peter. Didn't Peter realise who the Sanhedrin were? Who he was accusing? Hadn't they seen what they'd done to Jesus? Wasn't he scared? Carrying on with Acts 4, this is verse 13. It says they couldn't take their eyes off them. 
Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realised that these two were laymen with no training in scripture or no formal education. They recognised them as companions of Jesus. But with the man right there before them, seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, what could they say against that? The Sanhedrin were very confused about what to do with them. They couldn't punish them for healing a man so publicly, but they were determined that they should be quietened down. So they threatened Peter and John again, telling them again not to speak in the name of Jesus. They told them that it would be dangerous if they carried on talking about Jesus being alive. And Peter and John's response? This is what they said. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. As for us, there's no question. We can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. Peter and John may not have been well educated, but we know from the letters that they wrote in the New Testament that these guys were smart enough to realise what was being threatened. They'd recently seen the same council do something terrible to Jesus. It was very fresh and a very, very vivid memory for them. They took no notice and they made it very clear to the Jewish leaders that they intended to carry on following God's leading rather than keeping quiet. Their lives were in danger, but it didn't seem to matter. And after being warned again to be quiet and not to talk publicly about Jesus, they were released. This is Acts 4.23 from the Living Bible. <clears throat> as soon as they were freed, Peter and John found the other disciples and they told them what the council had said. Then all the believers united in this prayer. O Lord, creator of heaven and earth and of the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor King David your servant, saying, Why do the heathens rage against the Lord, and the foolish nations plan their little plots against Almighty God? The kings of the earth unite to fight against him and against the anointed Son of God. That's what's happening here in this city today. For Herod the king and Pontius Pilate the governor and all the Romans, as well as the people of Israel, are united against Jesus, your anointed one, your holy servant. They won't stop at anything that you and your wise power will let them do. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and grant that your servants great boldness in their preaching and send your healing power and may miracles and wonders be done by the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the building where they were, were meeting shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly preached God's message. <clears throat> so they went back to the other disciples and they prayed together. But did you notice what they didn't pray? There's no mention whatsoever about their personal safety. They remind themselves who it is that they're praying to, the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. They remind themselves that the earth has often been a hostile place against those who follow God. 
they remind themselves that the Sanhedrin can only do what God allows them to do. They do, do tell God about the threats that are being made about uh, to them, but all they ask for is that God would give them boldness to carry on speaking about Jesus and they'd be given heavenly power to do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> it's very different from the prayers that we usually pray. God look after me. God keep my family safe. Keep us well. Help us to prosper. Keep bad things away from us. God give us a long, comfortable and happy, happy life free from danger. But there's no hint of that in the prayer that I've just read. We know that God was happy about that prayer because somehow the building that they were in physically shook and then they were given the ability to go out with the boldness that they just prayed for and they preached and they did wonders. This type of thinking and praying is very different from the way that we live. I'm preaching to myself here, believe me, Boldness is not something that you think of when you think of Andy Belsey, probably. I've struggled with self-confidence with my, from my infancy. The fact that I'm here preaching to you is a miracle. The confidence that I do have comes from God. I don't like making a public spectacle of myself, but God asks me to do it. God gives me the ability to explain things clearly, so I have to just get on with it. We build our little kingdoms here on earth. We invest our time and attention on our family, our homes, our career. The postmodern culture around us fills us with materialistic thoughts. They tell us that you've got to have this. It sells you the lie that if you get this, you'll be happy. It tells you that this product or this person will bring you the satisfaction that you crave for. Please ask yourself, as I ask myself, because I've been brought up in the same culture. Do things, however good they might be, however attractive they might seem, bring satisfaction. When you get them, somehow they lose their attraction, but you also cling on to them. What is it you long for? More money? Is it a marriage partner? A child? Is it a satisfying career? Is it fame or respect from other people? Is it a good house, a better car? Is it long life, free from pain and trouble? We look around at what others have got and we want a bit for ourselves. If I had that one thing, then I would be happy. Would you? Would you really be happy? As I challenge you, I'm challenging myself. I'm not super rich, but I've been very blessed with many of the best things that this world offers. I'm not a millionaire, but all of us in London are in a far better situation than the vast majority of this world's population. We're all rich in comparison with how most people live. Are any of us really happy or do we still crave for more? Just that one more thing will make me happy. If I could have that, then I would be satisfied. Would you? Would you really? Or have we been fed with lives? This is Matthew 6 from the NIV. Jesus told us this. He said, 
Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin can destroy or where the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures on in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Or why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You are little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have to live each day a day at a time. But did you hear that? What Jesus said, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Things that we accumulate on this earth are nice, they're attractive, they're comfortable, but they're distractions and they're fragile. Ultimately, everything that you have will be taken away from you. Things or people can become our God, what we strive for, what we worship. The more you have, the more things you have to care and worry about. Whatever your treasure on earth is, whether it's possessions or people, then we must, put our tr we must not put our trust in them. We've all found out recently that life is a lot more fragile than we thought it was. Our plans and ambitions have been put on hold for the time being. The future that we thought was ahead isn't coming. And we don't know when life will get back to what we thought was normal. Life is fragile and it can be taken away very suddenly. Our postmodern secular culture didn't prepare us for this kind of world. It tells us to crave for our dreams, to selfishly strive for what our hearts really want. Traditional cultures, non-Western shame, shame and honour cultures, prepare people much better for hardship. 
those sort of cultures tell you that it may not be good for you, but you could have to sacrifice yourself for the good of the group. But the postmodern secular culture is extremely selfish in its nature. Stuff the others, I need this, it's my dream and I've got to have it. So the rest of you can get lost. We live in a society which avoids pain and suffering as much as possible. We expect and we demand a long, comfortable life and we feel cheated if we don't get it. It's my right, it's what I deserve. Deep in our hearts, we know that life is fragile and life is unfair. Most people in this world are living hard, cruel, short, painful lives, scraping in existence. Tell them your woes and they'll laugh at you. What have you got to worry about? You've got to stay inside your warm, comfortable houses with cupboards full of food and wait for the virus to pass by. So what? So, so many don't know where their next meal is coming from, let alone whether Auntie Mary, who's 80, will survive. Some can't even find food for their newborn babies. Most of you know that I'm a military history buff. At the Battle of Waterloo 200 years ago, there are so stories of several officers who got shot in the arm. The only solution then was that they had to leave the battlefield and go back to the surgeons. And the surgeons sawed off their arm with no anaesthetic. Somebody would hold them down and they were probably given a bit of leather to chew to quieten their screams. After that experience, they were bandaged up. And then I know of three guys that went back to the battlefield to lead their men because that was expected of them. I know that I cruel, I curl up when I get a headache, but it's mindset. These soldiers expected life to be hard, cruel and painful, probably short. We've grown up avoiding pain at all costs. But those of you that have been to the third world would have seen people do incredible things because they expect life to be hard. It's sink or swim, so they swim. So I'm challenging myself, especially, as well as you, how much do you value your life? Is your personal safety and comfort more important than doing God's will? Is what others think about you more important than doing what God wants you to do? But we can't just do this out of a sense of duty. Our motivation must come from a love relationship with God and in a boldness that the Holy Spirit gives. If we strive to do it in our own strength, then we'll just burn out. We'll only succeed by doing the will of the Father, as Jesus taught us to do in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Whatever we do, our motivation must be love, and we must be guided by the Holy Spirit. We'll only do it well with the help of the Lord. This is John 15 verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I said at the beginning that we're all in our own leaky boat, isolated in a pandemic storm of uncertainty. 
Jesus never promised us an easy life, free from problems. In fact, he promised us trouble. John 16:33 says this, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So, expect trouble, but also expect God to give you peace. God will not keep you free from trouble. The only thing he's ever promised you is his peaceful presence to endure and make the most of the situation you're in. If you've given your life to God, then you're his beloved child. Nothing that the world throws at you can separate you from his love. He wants to help you through this tough, cruel, messed up world, but you have to choose to let him. He never steps in uninvited. Our sinful nature makes us selfish, lazy creatures, but it's not what God wants. God is Trinity, three parts in united harmony working together. Jesus prayed for us that we would be like that too. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed for you. This is John 17. My prayer is not for them alone, that's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's you and me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world that will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That was Jesus' final prayer before he was arrested. He prayed that we would know the intimate love that the Father and the Son enjoyed with each other. We read at the end of Acts 4 of the loving unity that the early church had. Acts 4.32 says this, says the whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have that. They shared everything. The apostles gave wonderful, powerful witness to the resurrection to the Master Jesus, and grace was on all of them. We're only going to change this world for the better if we show united love for each other. Isolation makes us selfish and it turns us inward, but it's not what God wants. God wants us to reach out to others with the love that we experience in him. So stop the self-preoccupation and see what love you can show to others. I'm preaching to myself here. I've got a long way to go. I've kept myself to myself and I've suffered alone, but that's not what God wants. God created mankind for community because we're made in his image. God as the Trinity is community. God is united love. So please look out for each other in love. Please look for ways 
that you can share God's love with those around you. The only way that we can ever attract others into God's family is if we put our selfish agendas aside and show love to each other. Please don't expect others to know what you're going through. We don't. Please reach out to each other. Even if you're really shy, even if you're really unconfident, like I am naturally. Please speak to each other and pray for each other. We've all got problems, we must, but we must face them together with God's love and God's strength. He will help us through the storm, but we must do it together. Isolation is the devil's tool. Loving community is God's.